This is the Property Solopreneur Podcast, and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. So today, I'm very pleased to have with me Arthur Delamere, who is going to tell you in his own words, why you're never too young to start working in property and making serious money. And I met you, Arthur, oh, must be about four years ago now, isn't it? Yes. And absolutely in Bristol. And you'd already done some work by the time I met you. And every time I see you, you've done something different, something fun. And you just love it, don't you? Why do you do property? I guess, one, I love buildings. I love architecture and the look of and feel of a building and then I love the idea of improving something that's slightly imperfect not to make it perfect but to make it livable or or usable in an occupation sense and of course you're not you by by sounding like that you may think oh he must have a degree in architecture you haven't have you no no I have um, a degree in accounting and finance which has come to use when doing my bookkeeping and stuff but other than that, I don't use it at all. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely true. And you did your first deals whilst you were still at university, didn't you? Yes. So I did my first deal pre-university within in my gap year. It wasn't much of a gap year because I worked the whole year of it. Uh, well, that's what gap years are for, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, all of my friends were out gallivanting in, in Thailand and all of those places. And I'm there ordering tradesmen around and making sure tiles are delivered on site, making sure concrete's being laid and the driveway's being finished. So it was a good year, but a, a good year, but a, a year of learning, really. For me. Absolutely. And I suspect what you'll do is just have your gap year as a middle age gap year, won't you? Well, hopefully, and, and, and with a lot more money, hopefully. With a lot more money. <laughs> so you won't be in those sort of, you know, flea infested hotels. You'll be going first class no. and five star hotels. <laughs> But what was your very first deal? What did you do first? So um, kind of my, uh, my where I brought, was brought up in, in a village outside of Swindon. I, I know the location very well. And the house happened to come onto an auction at the time. And I used to walk past this house on the way to school. I knew the person that used to live there. I knew everything about this property. However, I didn't have the skills behind knowing what to do with it. However, I knew that it was a structurally sound property and that on this street I could make more than what they've put it on at. So I did all my research, rang around some agents. They told me there's a ceiling price on this road. I maybe slightly arrogantly at the time didn't quite believe them. However, I did all my figures. I knew my numbers and I, I created a business plan, which I had to pitch to my dad. He lent me a hundred grand of it and I had 50 grand uh, savings at the time. Uh, and I bought it at auction. And I did a wraparound two-story extension. So the figures on that one is I've bought it for 141. Uh, I did 60 grand spend and I sold it for 265. So it's about 60 grand profit. And of course, having done that for your first flip, you were just sold on the whole concept. Yes, absolutely. And I 
I didn't know how to do two-story extensions. I had a builder walk off site on me. You know, it took me a good 12 months for it from start to finish. Yeah, so it was good fun. Good fun, but my word, there must be some sleepless nights. But, you know, as I say, if you come out of an accounting degree, even a good placement would not have got you that in your first year unless you'd gone to a top London firm, would it? No. So you could already see the writing on the wall. That, but you went ahead and, and did your degree and have come out the other side. And you've gone on flipping, but you do you do hold some, don't you? Yes. So I did about four flips before I was introduced to Susanna Cole. Mm-hmm. And during that, when I was introduced to Susanna Cole, I was only set on doing flips. I only wanted money. I only wanted cash. I only wanted to not hold any assets because I thought... You know, I never thought that you could leverage as you can now. So the idea was just to build a massive cash pot so then I could eventually retire. There wasn't any planning in buying residentials to let out or commercials to let out. It was really when, um, you know, Susanna R teaches that you hold assets so that it pays you an income absolutely but then of course that was your age to a certain degree speaking you know you when you're young you can see the benefit of having cash in the bank but you can't really see the point in having huge numbers of debt against you you know that that is something that is slow it slowly dawns on you and actually unless you've actually seen other people with portfolios that cash flow properly and don't create a a drama they just quietly bumble along in the background providing you with an income allowing you to go and have fun you don't know it's there do you no and a lot of um, when you talk to developers that are are building massive schemes, they don't often tell you that they have a small portfolio that kind of keeps them steady. No, they just say, "Oh, I've made this massive amount of money on this project." When really the security and the safety and is through the portfolio that they have in the background. Absolutely, and you're very much diversifying now to not just have single lets, but you've also got some commercial up your sleeve, haven't you? Yes. So I've got slightly risky strategy. I've gone for kind of shops and restaurants on the ground floor and then with uppers, so flats and other office space above. Now, everyone tells you that that shops are dying, high streets are dying. However, where I've got my stuff located, it's very much secondary retail space. So there isn't a footfall. It's not on a high street where there isn't any traffic going down it. So um, that's why I predominantly invested in those. And they've done very well. So secondary, that means down the the side street, doesn't it? So there's probably parking. There's parking. They're either on a busy road or there's parking on a busy road. It's one of those really weird sort of things. Yes, it's busy enough to get the footfall for the shop, but it's quiet enough at night for your uh, tenants who are living in the flats not to feel that they're living in Piccadilly Circus. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, you know, that that's fantastic. And you are taking that really from distressed to all the way through now to out the other end as luxury, aren't you? Yes, yeah. So my my plan, my a project that I put, purchased in 2019 was a, a run of four commercial units, which uh, two of them were empty at the time and paying empty commercial rates. And two of them had um, kind of uh, rent arrears. And I purchased that. I got everybody on new leases where they give me back the property at the end. Uh, so contracted out of the Landlord and Tenant Act. And my aim for that site is at the end of the five-year lease, I get the building back and I knock it down and I build 
hopefully 10 to 15 flats and ground floor commercial. Wow, that's going to be really very lovely to see. And of course, actually, because you've got such a wide visual space to look at, you're going to be able to create something that looks really lovely and will hold its value and look very modern and everything else. So gosh, what a difference from from when you start. And I think part of that, how you've got there, is that I know you have really watch the opportunities that have come your way because you took a very grotty, I'm sure you won't mind me calling it grotty. Sounds very rude, doesn't it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) HMO and turned it into something rather lovely, even though you had huge opposition from the locals, didn't you? Yes. So the locals at the time really focused on this building being, they wanted it a residential house they didn't want it converted into flats they didn't want it turned back into a hmo or a a nursing home so every time i had tradesmen around they would be taking photos and because i'm running at such a fast pace when it comes to purchase getting traders then getting planning i at the time mistake my end didn't get planning before i started doing the renovations so i've I opened myself to the locals really becoming the planning enforcement office and taking photos and really hounding my tradesmen. So what I did to kind of win them round, I'm, I'm, I'm working with them. I was converting the house, well, the building back into a house, one single massive four, four and a half thousand square foot house. It was vast. It was massive. Yes. Yeah. So what I did was I invited them all round. I really put on a, a display of I. One, a, I'm not a bad developer. Two, I'm going to satisfy their needs, which is one, it's going into residential. And two, there's no parking going to be put on the local streets around the property. So I really had to campaign for this is a great project, aka please leave me alone and let me get on with it. <laughs> yes. And that was really where your network came swinging into action, didn't it? Because your other friends in property really came good when you had an open house and they were doing the coffees and the teas and you, you know, they were literally talking to people going, well, he knows what he's doing. He's a really nice guy. You know, he's not a a city slicker just out to make a fast buck. Yes. Yeah. And the great thing about having a large network is I can really see the value in each of those people do uh, give to the events and they really work together, but you kind of give them a role and a task to do and they really excel at it. And that's what turns the event. It isn't me myself doing it because they only, they see me as the the barrier and the uh, the baddie in the situation, whereas everybody in the room is the one working it. All the volunteers are working or helping. Yes. And that was very, very apparent at the time as well, because I mean, I remember being there and we were being asked questions by these locals really about, you know, who were you and what kind of person were you? And that was, you know, almost they weren't that interested in what the building was going to be. Although, of course, they were all dying to get in there and see the trees that were growing out of the indoor plaster and all the other goodies that we so love with a a very ancient building. But they came away feeling really can't be that bad if all these people have turned up from all over the country to support you. Yes. And you even got the press around, didn't you? Yes, I got the, the local MP and I got the local advertiser or newspaper um, and they did run an article and it was almost very controlled, but I could have probably been more vocal on the benefits into that local town like this development. But you see, part of the reason is that, as people can probably tell, you're not you know, one of those people who just has to shout from the rooftops. You are a very quiet and considered person. And you know, every time you do something, you've already thought all around the subject. 
I mean, this maybe sounds quite funny, but if you won't be the first person people notice in a room because you will be noticing them, which is why you pick the people you work with rather than them picking you, isn't it? Yeah. And that very much kind of leads on to like investor wise, um, how I majority of my investors are not loud. They're not brash. They don't flash the cash. They're very reserved people. And I and that's the people that I work with, people that are measured, that um, want to see the numbers, but also have a lot of money, but they're not willing to tell you about it. No. And that, I think, is part of the fun for you is that you are working with the people that you've got to know and it is a partnership and you don't have to be all over social media and you know you do it your way which is what I think is so much fun because everyone assumes there is only one cookie cutter in property isn't it you know you've got to show yourself you're the biggest and the brashest and the most clever person and if you don't have a 10 20 30 million pound portfolio from day one somehow you're not doing it right yeah. and you've never taken that view you've just gone well that's a really good project I'm going after that one yeah yeah I mean there, there are probably points and ego within me that wants to achieve that but I'm not going to shout on on social media no I I think you're absolutely right and I I also that's part of being the age you are funnily enough is that if you did to a certain degree shout about it everyone go how can you've done that and they miss the fact that the numbers prove themselves which is so is so good but you know with your the fact that you've got quite large projects underway which you do seem to have ongoing do you manage your tenants or does somebody else do it for them so i've just handed over my whole swindon residential portfolio over to a letting agent oh my word how's it going first of december so we'll see i've had no reports so far no bad reports um um, i've not completely handed it over so i still get the rent paid into my accounts and i'm in control of the revenue however they deal with all the tenant side of things so it's exciting but also i'm losing control of a baby of mine so that is a problem isn't it but you can't grow to the degree you want to, if you're looking after small fry paying, you know, a thousand pounds a month into your bank account to live somewhere when you're looking at millions, potentially, something has to go, doesn't it? Yes. I think for me, though, as a landlord, I'm always going to be quite involved in the maintenance of stuff that tenants don't necessarily consider. So I am going to be, I do inspect every six months and I do Every six months, had the gutters cleaned annually. Um, I do deweed. I deweed properties myself, even though it's the tenant's responsibility, just because I know that they won't do it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's you're quite lucky because, of course, you're very near to where you've got your tenants. That really wouldn't be practical for me. I'd never see my home. But some of your projects do actually take quite a while to come to fruition because I know you've done one just recently that what, took two years to, to work or was it two and a half? It's uh, So I had it agreed in May 2019. It's a, it was in probate. So it took me, so I agreed it in May 2019 and I only purchased it now uh, in October 2021. So it's taken me two years to get it over the line and it, two years of like pulling out hair, but then towards the end of it, I kind of, you know, it, the deal will come when it comes. I've made money on it. I can relax, but they are definitely going to sell it to me. So I don't need to be so pushy in getting this deal over the line. Because um, you put planning on it, didn't you? Yes. So my original plan was to sell it, do a one-store extension and sell it for 375 finished. I'm buying it for 220 Yep. 
Um, so the end value was seven, uh, 375. Now, two years on, I then did a second application for a two-story extension to make it into a four-bed house. Uh, and then I bought it in October. They gave me four weeks to complete, and I had to raise some money from two investors. So none of my own money in this project. I was going to do the refurbishment. However, I was at the last tether of a last refurbishment with my builders, and I didn't want to move on to one over Christmas. So I was just like, right, let's stick it in auction and and see what happens. So I stuck it in auction. I sold it for three five two, which is not a bad profit, is it? Yes. Yeah, so pre-tax, it's about one hundred and fourteen thousand. And how much did the planning cost you? Seven hundred pounds. Oh my word! I know it's crazy. <laughs> and 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 of course, that's actually paying for your knowledge, isn't it? Yes. And um, I kind of where where it took so long to purchase, I really delved into where I could save money. So I didn't pay any stamp duty because it had been empty for, one, it was a probate property, two, I'm buying it within a trading asset, uh, a company, and three, it had been empty for a number of years. So I didn't pay any stamp duty. All I had was interest fees, the planning costs, and the lawyer fees. So all in all costs are about £10,000. Yes. And of course, that really is a case of, of being calm, allowing yourself to do other things in the meanwhile, and just to keep you know looking in and making sure it all works. And yes. of course, the best thing about it all, all as well is that I know that you watch the auction from a bar in Barcelona. I mean, yeah. how much more entrepreneurial can you get? I know. We were in... Um... Uh, a good friend of mine, Susanna, in a bar in Barcelona, very glamorous, amazing kind of backlight of gin cocktails, different bottles. And we were just watching the the, um, the amount go up. I mean, there was a moment where it was around the 300,000 mark. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to make that much money. <laughs> <laughs> was it worth putting it in the auction? Probably not. But then when it started kicking up and I was getting excited and drinks were flowing, it was really good fun. You know, that, that's straight out of, you know, the, the four day week and all the rest of it, isn't it? All those sorts of things. There you are living up the high life. But of course, you've come back to England with a bump, getting ready for the next project and you know, really going for it. And to those of you who can't see, because of course this is work, you know, sound rather than vision, you're only in your mid-20s, aren't you? Yes, I'm 26. So here you are, having done some very big developments, having made over 100 grand on one deal just literally in a couple of weeks. It rather proves the point that you're never too young, really, to start in property, are you? No, I'm, I mean, people use it as a barrier, but you've just got to work your way around those people. I think you probably have problems with some of your friends who must be, you know, thinking, oh, poor Arthur, you know, he's just not going out as much as the rest of us. And yes. of course, you're just going, well, I can't because I've got to make a few more <laughs> hundreds of thousands. And also, though, there's a lot of pressure when it comes to property. And I think if you are partying too much, it's a lot on my shoulders, right? Yes. So I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose my inhibitions. I don't want to lose my thoughts because I'm driving and pushing forward a business. So so this also, selfishly, I don't want to, to go out all the time because it's, it, it impedes me. It stops me from doing what ultimately I like doing. Which actually, that is one of the... The downsides of being an entrepreneur, it, it, it everything rests on your shoulders. You know, you are CEO and brains and finance officer and everything else of this company. Did you start your company when you were doing your first projects? When did a 
having a company structure come into it all? Um, so the company structure really for me came in when I started holding assets. Right. Uh, so up till then, it's always been in your own name. Yes. And, Which again, and proves, proves you can do it many ways, doesn't it? Yeah, I was fortunate enough where I had made money and also a parent backer and some inheritance, I was able to run up until that point with cash. Yes. No, not everybody has that availability, but really uh, my backer took 50% of my profit, my parents. So it was a case of it's a business transaction and I had to make money. So so up until the point of where I held assets, it was a company. And even then the barriers that I had, which was I was too young to get mortgages. <laughs> So um, I, I had really had to twist a few banks to start lending to me. So. And of course, you've now got a track record, which is fantastic. But yeah. thank you, Arthur. I think you very much proved that actually I'm too young is definitely not an excuse you can use for getting into property. There are many ways of getting around it. You You found probably nearly all of them. But just giving up at the first instance is... It's just not going to work, is it? If you want to make money in property, you've just got to go for it. Yeah. And also I'm at that point now where at 26, I have so many options available to me because I've done the work earlier in my early years. That's very true. Yes. Very, very true. It's great to be at 26 when everyone my age at the moment is having their mid-20s crisis, I would say, where they're not happy with their career or they're not happy with post-university life. So um, it's a great position to be in. (laughs) And and if people wanted to find you, because I know you do appear here, there and everywhere occasionally, where would they find you most likely? Where where can they look you up? Yeah, anytime reach out to me on Instagram, which is William Arthur Property. I will always answer any questions. I'm happy to help. So, yeah, please come and find me. Well, thank you very much. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing some pictures of your next amazing deal when you get those, um, uh, you know, those flats and the the stuff underneath really up and running. But thank you, Arthur. And we'll speak again soon. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist.